Happy Easter, everybody. Yeah. So good to be here. So grateful that you are with us. You had a lot of options this weekend, and so thanks for making us a part of it. All of our people online from around the world, wherever you're watching from, we have a full house in here, and I'm imagining that you are watching it from a full house as well. So thank you for joining us, whether you're somewhere here in the Western Hemisphere or on the other side of the globe. And we get to tell one of my favorite stories this weekend, if you're here for the first time, this is week three, uh, but we're going to catch you up real quick. But before we do, we got to ask a question. How many of you are like me, and somewhere in your house, your car, you have a stack of gift cards? Like just a stack of gift cards. You don't even know half the places they go to. You don't know how much they're worth. You don't know where you got them. In fact, I have a little stack of gift cards right here. I love gift cards. I love that we live in the era of gift cards because you can't go wrong by giving somebody a gift card uh, because then you can just basically say, I love you this much worth, Uh, (laughs) right? But it's fascinating to me. The whole concept when you think about it is fascinating because let's just pretend that you don't know what this means for a second. At its core, this is just simply a one inch by three inch piece of plastic, right? So it's just a piece of plastic, maybe worth a dollar, maybe. Would anybody give me a dollar for this if you knew it had no value? No, okay, so it's not even worth a dollar. So gift cards are fascinating because we have this inch of, this little piece of plastic that has literally no value. Yet, if you put the right logo on the front and you have some numbers or a barcode on the back, there's one place, just one, but one place, one entity in the world that says, actually, if you bring this to us and you exchange it with us, we're gonna give you something else, something better in return. We don't even think about it anymore. We just hand it to them. But some of you have exchanged a, let's call it a 10 cent piece of plastic and you've walked out with furniture you didn't even pay for because of the value that was on the gift card, right? Now, if you're like me, you spend a ton of time online going vanilla gift cards, like how much is on this, uh, whatever the case may be. But these are good. Now this one, this one is a, a Target gift card, which means you could take this to Pizza Hut And what are you going to get for it? Nothing. This is not worth anything at Starbucks. It's not worth anything at Walmart. It's not worth anything at Sam's. It's not worth anything at Ruth Chris. But if you take it to Target, you might get something. In fact, I have a a $25 gift card to Target. Uh, I believe by faith that it's worth $25. Anybody like to shop at Target? Is there any Target fans? Do you like Target? Here, I'd love to give that to you. All right. Now, oh, don't worry. I have a different logo. This one is not a circle, but it's like this crazy lady with some like crowns and stuff. She represents the major addiction in America. (laughs) But now this is the same deal. Cheap piece of plastic, not worth anything at Target, but if you take this, Starbucks. (laughs) All of a sudden, you get yourself an iced cappuccino, a latte, a frappuccino. You get a little sausage, a little biscuit on the side. You can get the dragon fruit, whatever that is. Like, you can just have yourself a time. This, and again, you take this to Target, it's worth nothing. You take this to Pizza Hut, it's worth nothing. But if you take this to Target, or if you take this to Starbucks, it's worth somewhere between three and one drink, or I don't know what you get. But this is $25 caffeine addiction. Who likes Starbucks? Oh, that hand went up real quick, Miss Taylor. There you go. New mama. Now, we also, within a couple miles of our uh, church, we have a great burger institution. Five guys. Had the privilege to meet the manager recently. Now, again, this is worth nothing at Target. This will get you nowhere. 
at Starbucks. You could take this to Burger King and they're gonna ask you to leave. <laughs> and you can say, fine, because Five Guys is better. But this is worth $25 at Five Guys, which is worth at least three double cheeseburgers, unless you get the super extra large fry, then it's like two double cheeseburgers and a fry. But, but again, you have a 10 second, you have a 10 cent piece of plastic, but there's one entity one, one entity that has enough wealth, has enough power, has enough acumen to determine there's actual value on this. And somewhere along the, along the lines, you just believe them. And you're like, I was told if I give you this, you're going to give me like really good food. Now there's nobody in this church online or in person that likes five guys as much as I do. But is there anybody who likes it a lot anyway? I see that hand. Hallelujah. Okay. Uh, and so there you go. But if you think about it, it's a fascinating concept. And it's, 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 a, and it's, not, just, it's not just gift cards. Probably the ultimate example of this is um, there are these entities that say if you get a little piece of paper and you pick the five right numbers on the right day, we ain't talking about lattes anymore. You could buy a country. We're talking about the lottery, right? It's, but think about it. It is baffling. Staples will charge you five cents for a piece of paper with some numbers on it. Yet there's some entity that if you take those numbers and they're the right numbers on the right day, you're talking 100, 200, 300 million. What am I talking about? Tithes and offerings. No, just kidding. The lottery. <laughs> Church is only ever talking about money. Talking about the lottery. It's mind blowing. I could go, I mean, I could never done it, but I could try to be like, hey, I'd like $100 million for this piece of paper. But they're like, no, sir, that's not, I mean, I can make up some numbers. It doesn't have the right logo. It doesn't have, but why? Because they have determined that something has value and something doesn't. What are we talking about? These gift cards, these lottery tickets, your golf ball machine at your driving range, whatever it is, are only, only have value if someone is willing to exchange the seemingly insignificant thing you have and exchange it for something much better. Did you know there's a word for that? It's called redemption. You have to redeem it. Now, there may be $500 on this gift card. I'm not going to tell you how much there is. But it doesn't do you any good unless you actually take it to the entity that recognizes its value and you exchange it for something else more meaningful, something else that has value. It's not worth anything. It's not worth anything unless you take it to the right place and unless you redeem it. And why do I say that? Because that's what this weekend is. Easter, Resurrection Sunday is all about redemption. It's actually the greatest exchange of all time. And it's the story I want to tell. And so uh, the word redemption, in fact, at its simplest meaning, just literally means to exchange for something of value or greater value. Um, there's one that says you can gain possession by exchanging a payment or clearing a debt. Redemption is simply, I'm going to take one thing, typically of lesser or no value, and exchange it for something else of much greater value. And this is the greatest day in history and the greatest story ever told because I believe it's the greatest exchange, it's the greatest redemption of all time. And so Jesus came, Resurrection Sunday, Easter is about redemption. I want to talk about this briefly on two levels, because first of all, the whole reason we celebrate Easter, some of the reason you're here this weekend is because 2,000 years ago, the same God who created the earth decided to come be like us, and he wanted to exchange our seemingly insignificant, shameful, broken lives for something much greater. And so he came to literally redeem the whole world. Jesus came to redeem everyone, which was a really big deal in that time in history and still is a big deal to this day because since broken humanity decided to define good and evil for itself, we divide ourselves and we decide who has more value and who has less value. And Jesus leveled the playing field once and for all. He said, all humanity made in my image as my dearly loved sons and daughters have equal value. And here's the value, my own life. 
He literally did it for all people. So for the first time in history, somebody did something and said, uh, this is only good if you're a white male or if you're not 65 or younger or if you're a female or if you have this color skin. Jesus did it for all people all time. Jesus redeemed all of humanity and gave every single person equal dignity and equal value because he took death, kicked its tail, and came back on the third day. And so Paul, Paul talks about this. The apostle Paul, when he's writing, explaining this to Romans, he says in Romans chapter five, he says, so then through one transgression or one sin, talking about Adam at the beginning of the story, there resulted in condemnation to all of us. We're born into broken humanity. There's no avoiding it. He says, even so though, one act of righteousness, Jesus, therefore resulted in justification for the life to all men. It should be more even accurately translated, all people. He goes on in verse 19 to say, for as through the one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners, all of us. So through the obedience of the one, many, uh, many will be made righteous. It's the greatest exchange of all time. Uh, when Paul was explaining this to his young friend Titus, he said it this way in a simpler version in 2.11. He says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to perfect people, to modern history, to the ancient East, to white males, to only people who've never been to jail or gotten caught lying. No, it offers, it, it offers redemption to all people. And how did he do it? He did something no human in, ever, in history has ever done. This is the simple version. How did he redeem? How did he redeem everybody? He came as God, the same God who spoke the world into existence without really even trying, came to be a human like us. He lowered himself that low to be like us, and he lived for 33 years. Here's the crazy part. 33 years. He never once kicked the dog, never once lied to his mom, never once told a white lie, never once lost his temper, never once disrespected the neighbor, never once gossiped. He lived perfect for 33 years. And in the 33 years he was here, he not only did some really powerful stuff, but he made a prediction that no one ever, ever has. He predicted that he was gonna die, that he was gonna voluntarily let his life go in to the enemy. But he said, don't worry, because I, by my own accord, I'm gonna bring myself back to life. Jesus predicted his death, which several people have done. That's not hard. But he predicted his death and resurrection. And guess what? He pulled it off. Not only did he pull it off, he could have claimed his invincibility over the worst part of humanity, but in rather, instead, he submitted himself to it. He submitted himself to torture. He submitted himself to death. He submitted himself to the grave. He even descended into hell only to come out on top and conquered it all. Why? So that he could be the greatest entity in all of humanity and he could be the final say on who and what has worth and value. So no matter what the broken world, no matter what all the other entities in your life, your world, your past, your mess ups have told you, Jesus says, you have ultimate value if you let me redeem you, if you come to me, because I will take the worst of you and I will give you the best of me. Yeah. And that's what he does. It's, it's the craziest idea. Jesus became like us so that we could become like him. Think about that. He became like us, which he didn't have to do, so we could become like him, which we can't do without his help, without himself. And so today we celebrate what that means for us, what that means for, for eternity, what that means for us in our lives here and now. And so as I mentioned, the last three weeks we've been telling this story. If you don't know the Easter story, it happened over three days. Friday was the trial, arrest, beating, and death of Jesus where he was crucified. Saturday was the day nothing happened. And Sunday is the day where he came back to life. And so each week, we've been looking at one day at a time, kind of in real time, what it would have been like to be there, but specifically through the lens of his best friend and lead disciple, a guy named Peter. 
And so we told Peter's story how Peter started out as like a, an overlooked leftover that nobody else wanted to have as their disciple. He was doing something else. He was fishing. Every other rabbi or person of power or influence had passed over, yet Jesus said, why don't you follow me? And I think you can be like me. I have big plans for your life. And so Peter, we can identify with Peter because most of us can identify what it's like to be looked over or not picked or left out or whatever. And so that's what uh, happened to Peter. And Peter followed Jesus for three years and Peter got it wrong more than he got it right. And he was this far from Jesus, which gives me so much hope. <laughs> Why? Why Peter? Because Peter is all of us. In fact, on Friday, Peter, Peter's worst day was the last day of Jesus's life. His worst day was the day he had been following Jesus the longest until Sunday. Now Sunday comes. And so we read that Jesus redeems and, and here's what happens. And so I want to come back into the story of Peter and we're going to read it through the lens of John, who was another key disciple, uh, was close to Jesus. And it's interesting if you read the scriptures, John and um, uh, Peter, they kind of had like this sibling rivalry thing. They were regularly jockeying for position. Who was the greatest? Who was the best? Who was the closest to Jesus? Who did he love more? And you're going to see that here in, in just a second. So here's how John records the Sunday of the resurrection. John chapter 20 says, early the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter, lead disciple. And the other disciple, that would be John, the one whom Jesus loved. Again, nobody likes a guy who refers himself as the one Jesus likes the most, but John did it. And he said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. Verse three says, so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb and both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So they're both there. He bent over and looked in and saw strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Verse six, then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. I'll tell you why I'm laughing in a second. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth he had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. More on that in a second. Finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went inside. They saw and believed, or as Matthew said, the angel said, he is not here, he is risen. This records the greatest moment in all of human history, and I think it's hilarious. Because John, who penned it, wanted history to remember two really important things. Jesus conquered death. Jesus conquered hell. Jesus conquered the grave. And I am faster than Peter. <laughs> These guys are teenagers. Three times he mentions, I got there first. When the greatest story ever told is ever told, history will remember I was on the gold medal pedestal. Oh, and Jesus raised from the dead, kind of a big deal too. These guys give me so much hope. But it's interesting because it says they got there, but Peter, of course, had to one-up John. And so what does it say? Well, John was too afraid to go in, but Peter went all the way in. So Peter wanted to make sure that history would record, well, John was a scaredy cat, but I went all the way in. <laughs> but the important part is what they saw, actually what they didn't see. Jesus wasn't there. And there was a huge um, kind of rumor that Jesus' body was going to be stolen because he had predicted this. There was only one huge problem, that he had folded up the linens in two different places and set them out. And if you look at the history of it, the way he folded them and placed them were actually for the place of pre-burial. It's the way it was before you wrapped somebody. If you were going to steal a body, you would never go through the unwrapping it. And what he made the statement was he put it back the way it was as if it never happened. What a baller move, in my opinion. So then Jesus shows up and he, so the, Jesus is raised from the dead. And now he says, tell the guys to wait for me. The doors are shut, but he just shows up in a room anyway. Jesus can do whatever he wants. 
And he does, and they all see him, except for this guy named Thomas, who was a disciple. And so they're like, Thomas, can you believe Jesus is back? And he's like, I will not, I, I refuse to believe it. In fact, later on in John, it says, now Thomas was one of the 12, was with the disciples when Jesus came in the room, and they told him, or he was not with them, and they told him, hey, we saw Jesus. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. We've called this series, I Can't Believe, and just really quickly, here's why. I think there's a bad narrative out there that God is uh, uh, disgusted with your lack of faith, that your skepticism, your hurt, and your questions, he's like, how dare you? If you read the story, there's all kinds of room for unbelief in the kingdom. Jesus has all kinds of room for your hurt, all kinds of room for your skepticism, all kinds of room for your unbelief. If you can't believe, Jesus is a great place to go and just test him and come and see and see what happens. And because what Thomas had also been with Jesus for three years and Jesus could have said, how dare you, Thomas? You've seen me literally do everything. How could you not believe in me? What's wrong with you? But rather his response was very different than what maybe a mere human would do. He says, Thomas, what else do I need to do? I need to see the holes in your hand. I'll do it. Here's my hand. Go ahead. Jesus will meet you at your skepticism, your question, your, your doubt. And he will go, what else can I show you? How else can I reveal myself? What else do you need for me to redeem you? I'm willing to come to you in light of all of your humanity in light of all your brokenness. You might feel like you're worth a 10 cent piece of plastic, but I'm telling you, you have ultimate value and I'm willing to pursue you until the minute you try to slide that in and let me redeem your worth. That's an incredible story. But more importantly than just Jesus came to redeem all of humanity, which is super compelling and super, I mean, it's like, wow, how did he do that? But I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes it's almost easier to be general than it is specific. Like it's easier for me to go, yeah, God loves everybody. than it is for me to go, God really loves me. Well, it's easy for me to go, God loves everybody. He redeemed everybody. But I know me, I know my mistakes. I know all my quirks, my isms, my darkness, my, my, my stuff, my secrets, all my shame, all my mistakes. And I think Peter was the same way. In fact, we meet Peter. Why? I love the story of Peter because he's in this really interesting place. He saw the tomb. He saw it was empty. He was in the room. Jesus showed up to him. But is Peter following Jesus? No. I mentioned right before that before Jesus met Peter, he was just a fisherman. Well, guess where we find Peter again at the end of the story? Fishing. So Peter knows Jesus came back, knows he raised from the dead, believes it happened but he's still fishing. So he understood Jesus came for everybody, but what was Peter's last memory? Jesus told him, you're gonna deny even knowing me three times. His last memory was no, no, no. And so he went back to the only other thing he'd ever been good at, the only other thing that had ever given him value or identity, the only other thing he ever knew, which I think is what we do when we feel like we blow it so bad, God could never love me, use me. I'm just, I'm such a mess. And if you feel like such a mess, this is the greatest story ever told. Because Jesus didn't just come to redeem the world. He came to redeem you personally, specifically, and individually. And again, let's look at Peter's story. This is how the account of John ends. They go out fishing one night. They don't catch anything. Jesus is on the beach. They didn't know it. They're coming in. He's like, hey, friends, what are you doing? They're like, well, I guess you could call it fishing, but can you if you don't really catch anything? Ha <laughs> ha, what a dumb joke. Anyway, um, he goes, why don't you guys throw your nets to the other side? They do. They catch a group gang of fish, 153 of them. And it says at that time, they realize it's Jesus. And so they try to get the boat in. It's about 100 yards out. Peter sees it as Jesus. In true Peter fashion, he ain't waiting. He just jumps into the water. He's like, you guys got this. And he swims to Jesus. And what's Jesus doing? You know what he wasn't doing? He wasn't sitting on the, he wasn't sitting on the beach going, how could you be fishing? We've been over this. You still have no faith. I can't believe you deny me. You know what he was doing? He was making a fire. It says it in the Bible, John 21. Why was he making a fire? Because he was going to serve them and cook them breakfast. Jesus still was serving the ones who he asked to follow him. 
and he cooks them breakfast, and he brings them back in. And then he doesn't just go, hey, I saved the world, but he pulls Peter aside, and he wanted Peter to know, I want to meet you at the place of your greatest regret, your greatest failure, because I am not here just to redeem the world, but I want you to have a personal, specific encounter with me where you no longer have this regret, but you know how good we are. And so it says, he pulls Peter aside in front of all these guys, and they have this little conversation, John chapter 21. And it says, when they had finished eating, Jesus made the meal, must have been a good cook. It says, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? It's one. More than these, more than anything else. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, well, if that's the case, then feed my lambs or be about what I'm about. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Two. He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, then take care of my sheep. Again, take care of people, love people, serve people, do what I taught you to do. It says then a third time, verse 17. He said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Peter's so stupid. I know I'm gonna have to like work this out in heaven, but we got a long time with me and Peter. (laughs) Two days ago, two days, he said three times, I don't know the man, I don't know the man. He started cussing the third time. That's what the Bible says. Yet now he's mad that Jesus is like, I just want to be sure. Do you really love me? Like, how human is Peter? How human are we that we so quickly forgot how bad we've blown it? We're like, well, Jesus, what's the deal? Like, we caught the fish. You served us breakfast. Everything's good. He says, do you love me more than these? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I love this so much. Jesus knew Peter's mind, his heart. He knew that Peter was going to live the rest of his life with the last chance I had to claim I knew Jesus. It was no, no, no. And Jesus didn't just generally reclaim and redeem all of mankind by conquering the grave. He came specifically into Peter's biggest place of failure, regret, hurt, despair. And he's like, let's have a do-over. Let's redeem this. Why don't you trade in that worst case scenario for the best case scenario? He says, do you love me? And so now instead of the last time I was with Jesus, it was no, no, no. Guess what? Last time I was with Jesus, it was yes, yes, yes. What's really interesting about this is um, if you look at the Greek word love, Jesus actually uses a different word each time to like deepen the meaning of it. Do you love me? And John, and so he says, do you love me three times? Because Jesus wasn't just releasing redemption, but he was releasing the hope of redemption. It was in that moment that Peter became, and then, and then, The last thing Jesus says to Peter afterwards, if that's the case, he says, then follow me. If you remember from two weeks ago, that was the stamp of approval, like you're back in. So they ended where they started. He was fishing, he had blown it, he wasn't good enough. And Jesus said, follow me. And then with Jesus, he was fishing, he had blown it, he wasn't good enough. And Jesus said, let's pick it back up. Let's run it back, just get up and let's keep moving. Follow me. And Jesus redeemed Peter, not just the cosmos, but the heart and the soul of Peter. Jesus redeemed you. There's an offer in heaven for him to redeem your value, your worth. He will exchange. In fact, he wants to redeem your value and worth in light of your shame, in light of your mistakes, in light of your dirt, in light of your despair, in light of your regrets. Jesus came to do that. In fact, if you don't remember anything else ever about the the Easter story or what we said the last three weeks or today, I hope you walk away with this understanding that Jesus exchanged the worst of you so that you could get the best of him. Greatest story ever told. Jesus, God himself, everything I just said, he took the worst of us, took it to hell. He's like, this needs to get buried and then rose again. And he's like, now you can just 
follow me and we can do this a different way. Now you have ultimate value. In fact, Paul describes this to some followers of his in Corinth. He says it this in 2 Corinthians. He says, God made him uh, who had no sin, that's Jesus, to become sin for us so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. It's literally the same thing. Paul is saying, Jesus became the worst of us, took it to the grave, left it there, ascended without it. And he said, if you're willing to just take that seemingly 10 set piece of plastic for life, if you give it to me, every other entity won't redeem it. No other entity in the world will give you what I will give you for this. You can take it to your wife. You can take it to your husband. You can take it to your job. You can take it to Instagram. You can take it to wherever you want. And you might find some value, but nobody can redeem this for the worth it is if you will be willing to give me your life and redeem what I have given you. I love this story. It's all about redemption. And what's cool is different versions of this story have been, been being told for the thousands of years, the last 2,000 years, thousands and thousands of redemption story. In those days, Jesus was notorious for explaining these kinds of things to a group that didn't understand it in modern day language in an allegory or a for example that they would understand. And so I have one for you. Often Jesus would say, the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer or a merchant or a tax collector. And they would all be like, oh yeah. But that doesn't really mean much to us. So like now I think if he was alive, he would be like, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like Karate Kid or whatever, you know, Super Mario. Actually, that's exactly what we're doing in two weeks. But one of the greatest pictures of this, one of the great stories, one of my favorite, a good example, is in a movie that came out 25 years ago called Shawshank Redemption. Probably top five movie in my, in my picture. If you know it, I'm going to retell it. If you don't know it, you're going to lean in and you're going to go watch it tonight. Because it's a great redemption story with a Jesus character where it's another version. What would, what would, what's your takeaway from this? It's the picture of what God did. In the Shawshank Redemption, there's a hero named Andy Dufresne, and he initially underwhelms the narrator, Red. Red actually says this about him. He said, I must admit, admit, I didn't think much of Andy the first time I laid eyes on him. He looked like a stiff breeze could blow him over. If you don't know the story, Mr. Dufresne is unjustly arrested, tried, condemned, and beaten. Sound familiar? He didn't do it, but he was still tried. But as you watch him through Red's eyes in prison un un unrightly, something like wonder begins to, whirl, to grow. In prison, in a brutal world, Andy is kind. He's a man of hidden strengths who helps out his enemies. He builds a library for the men, teaches them to read, even helps his captors with their taxes. At one point, he ascends to a high place, which in that place was the warden's office, and he plays Mozart over a record and got in big trouble for it. But in the movie, it was a transcendent moment. It was in that moment that Red said, those voices soared higher and further than anybody in a gray space ever dares to dream. For the briefest of moments, every last man at Shawshank feels free. What's interesting about this story, it's very similar to Jesus, is that Andy is persecuted by the warden, who is actually a pharisaical, pharisaical hypocrite who wrongly uses the Bible for an abuse of power. But in the end, salvation does come in the Bible because the Bible is where Andy hides a small hammer where he chips away at freedom. Ironically enough, he starts with the story of Exodus. I know, ha ha, so you're like, oh, I never knew that. Now you're gonna go rewatch it. Andy, like Jesus, literally descends into hell. He crawls to freedom through 500 yards of prison sewage and comes out on the other side, cleansed by the river, and the rain, raising his hands in light and in salvation and in freedom. Soon after this, Andy's empty cell is the beginning of the end for the powerful, corrupt regime of the warden. Andy and Red have this running argument about hope. Red thinks hope is a fool's errand. 
Andy calls it the unseen powers that prison cannot touch. Throughout the movie, Red says that hope is dangerous, that hope can actually drive a man insane. Andy, however, says hope is a good thing, maybe the best thing, and hope can never die. And the story of Jesus, the resurrection, is the hope of redemption that we can take our seemingly invaluable life, place it in his hands, his entity, and he will redeem it for far greater value than you could ever imagine. In fact, I believe that we all need hope. We're all looking for it. We all need redemption. And as far as I can tell, Jesus is the only entity to offer in exchange for the worst of us, for the best of him. He won't force himself on you, ever, but he invites you to come and see, just like he did Peter. And even after you've blown it, and even after you've went back to your old life, he still will find you, just like even after Peter had blown it, after he had went back to his old life, he found him. And as we've been tracking with Peter the last three weeks, imagine what this might've been like from Peter's perspective one last time. It's almost unbelievable. I can't believe that just happened. Follow me. Those were the first words he said to me. Follow him. That's exactly what I did. And my world was forever changed. That's what he did. He somehow radically changed everything and everyone he came into contact with. Great weakness covered by his incredible strength. Constant impossibilities met by his unsurpassed power. Crippling unbelief shattered by his undisputed truth. Wretched religion overtaken by his penetrating kindness, grace, mercy, love. He was all he said he was. It was true. He was true. And yet somehow the darkness won on Friday. On Friday, fear overcame love. On Friday, darkness overcame light. Lies overcame truth. Hate overcame compassion. And I believe those lies, but they were wrong. They were wrong. They had to be wrong. But then shock and loss set in on Saturday. On Saturday, shame overcame purpose. On Saturday, despair overcame hope. Loss overcame life. Confusion overcame peace. And I believed every one of those lies. But they were wrong. They were wrong. They had to be wrong. See, Sunday was coming. I couldn't see it, but it came anyway. And Sunday brought hope, and Sunday brought life, and Sunday brought joy. Sunday brought a peace that surpassed all understanding. Sunday brought truth that was attainable for everyone. Sunday brought purpose that was available for all humankind. But me, I wasn't worthy. I wasn't hopeful. I wasn't able. He told me so. 
He looked me in the eye and said, you will deny me. He looked me in the eye and said, get behind me. And I did. I denied him. I wasn't able. I wasn't hopeful. I wasn't worthy. Until my eyes saw him. I saw him and from a distance and without hesitation, without a thought in my mind, I ran to him. I fell before him and he didn't just leave me there. He lifted me up. He gave me hope. He reminded me that I was more, that I was able, that I was worthy. He told me that I would be the rock, but I know the truth. I now know the truth. See, I've left those lies behind me. I know that he is the rock. I know that he's untamable. I know that he's unexplainable remember the words from before he's alive with forgiveness ongoing grace overflowing arms still holding your life and everything in it don't you ever forget it he's bigger than the sin that says you can't win it more ferocious than the fears that freeze you stronger than the problems that seize you he's Emmanuel he's still Jehovah he's still God he's still here And he's inviting you in on a relationship on the journey of a lifetime. And all it takes is four simple words. I will follow you. See, on Friday, I believed those lies. On Saturday, I said the words I can't believe. But they were wrong. I was wrong. Now I can't believe that he's that good. He is that good. So what about you? Have you responded? Jesus didn't just come to save the world. He didn't just come to redeem all. He came for you. All kinds of entities are going to try to tell you what you are or aren't worth. There's no better entity. There's no better hands to put your life in than Jesus. Like Peter, he believed Jesus raised, but he was still sitting in a boat living his before Jesus life. Some of you, you might believe this, but have you made it personal? If not, it's the greatest decision and the greatest adventure you'll ever go on. For some of us, this is a reminder and a celebration. For some of us, this is an invitation. I'm telling you, there's no better thing you could do with your life, but forget that I'm telling you. I'm just saying God is inviting you. Jesus takes the worst of us and gives us the best of him. It's the greatest story ever told. I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna dismiss. But before I do, I'm just gonna pray that I'm in. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm deciding again. And if you wanna pray that with me, just agree in your heart. When I say amen, you can just know that's me too. But if you're saying that for the very first time, as you slip out, I would just love for you to grab your phone and text KPS to 94000 just so I can encourage you and we can send you a video. We wanna walk with you. You might be like this card and you feel like you have 10 cent value. If you will let Jesus redeem your life, he will do more with you, in you, and through you than anything this world could ever offer. Pray with me this resurrection weekend. God, I thank you that you sent Jesus to live perfect, live as one of us, die, overcome death, hell, despair, depression, the grave, sin itself, so that we could become the righteousness of God. 
And God, today we reject uh, any notion, we reject any voice in this world that would try to determine our worth or our value. And we say, Jesus, we want in on you. We want to follow you. I don't want to just believe in you, but I want, to re- I want you to redeem my past, my present, my future, my family. I, even though I may have all the, the, the reasons that I'm not good enough, you have made me good enough because of what you did. So God, I thank you that this weekend represents redemption. And I pray, God, that every person here listening to my voice wouldn't just generally believe it, but that you would make it personal and specific to them, just like you did, Peter, that we would know that you are for us, that you are with us, and you are worthy of giving our lives to because what you have for us, we cannot find in this broken world. And God, we celebrate your victory and we walk in your victory this weekend as we remember what you did. In Jesus' name, amen.